0: your front door, your sanity. Welcome to the Success Story Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Clary. On this podcast, I have candid interviews with execs, celebrities, politicians, and other notable figures, all who have achieved success through both wins and losses to learn more about their life, their ideas, and their insights. I sit down with leaders and mentors and unpack their story to help pass those lessons on to others through both experiences and tactical strategy for business professionals, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between. Without further ado, another episode of the Success Story Podcast. Before we start today's episode, a quick note from our sponsor, Enthround, a fully comprehensive equity management platform. This is what they do.
1: Business owners, are you looking to raise capital and unlock shareholder liquidity? Before hiring expensive consultants or brokers, you need to know about Enthround. Private businesses use NthRound to unlock liquidity without bloating costs. With NthRound's equity management suite, you'll be able to create liquidity, engage with shareholders, and control your company's destiny, all in one secure platform. Get your free guide to liquidity. Go to nthround.com liquidity. That's nthround.com liquidity.
0: Thanks again for joining me. Today, I am sitting down with Kevin Hancock, who is the CEO of Hancock Lumber, This is one of the oldest companies in America, and it is a six-time recipient of the Best Places to Work in Maine Award. In 2010, at the peak of the national housing and mortgage market collapse, Kevin acquired a rare neurological voice disorder called spasmodic dysphonia when his own voice became weakened. So he developed a new leadership style based on strengthening the voice of others Keep in mind, he is dealing with running one of the largest privately owned uh, companies in the U.S. while going through this. He is now a champion of work culture, where everyone leads and every voice is trusted, respected, and heard. His new book, The Seventh Power, One CEO's Journey into the Business of Shared Leadership, shares the philosophy, values, and strategies. Hancock Lumber Company was embraced, has embraced on its journey towards becoming an employee center company where leadership responsibilities are broadly shared rather than just power coming down from the top. So I'm really, uh, I'm really honored to be sitting down with the CEO of one of the, the largest and oldest uh, privately owned company in the States. I'm very excited to hear you know, your story, your journey, some of the, the struggles that you've obviously had to go through and endured. Um, but thank you very much. I appreciate it, Kevin.
1: Scott, hello. Thank you for having
0: me. I'm happy to, to be with you today. No, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So let's, let's get right into it. Um, this is a very short summary, and it doesn't do you justice. So walk me through, walk me through your story. Uh, what's the story of you and, and Hancock Lumber, um, the, the family story, your personal story? I'd love to hear it all. Sure.
1: So our uh, company uh, began doing business in 1840. Eight. So before the first cannonball was fired in the American Civil War, our company was in business here in Maine, and we've been doing business uninterrupted ever since, and the company has been owned and uh, cared for by the same family that entire time. So I'm part of the sixth generation of my family to uh, work for the company. And today, we're uh, an integrated company, so we own timberland, and we grow trees, and then we have sawmills that manufacture lumber that we ship all over the world, and then at Maine and New Hampshire, we have a series of lumber yards that supply building materials to homeowners and contractors, and there are... Uh, approximately 550 people who work at the company, who are a part of the team. So to the story you mentioned, uh, in 2010 uh, right at the peak of the housing and mortgage market collapse, I uh, began to have trouble, a bit of trouble speaking, and it turned, something I Uh, always taken for granted never thought much about and done a lot of you know as a ceo really your tool is your voice and suddenly i couldn't really use mine very much i've recovered a good bit since but at the time i would not have been able to do this with you i it wouldn't have been possible so uh i Turned out I'd requ- acquired a rare voice disorder called spasmodic dysphonia, and in a hurry, uh, I had to figure out how to lead differently without really speaking a lot. And what I started doing uh, defensively initially really triggered all the change that followed. Someone would come up to me at work with a question or a problem. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to give much of an answer. So I started saying things like, um, geez, that is a good question. What do you think we should do about it? And this was not a management strategy at first. It was just a voice protection tool, uh, designed to put the conversation right back on the other person but what really struck me scott after doing this hundreds of times was that people actually already knew what to do this is what really struck me they did not actually need as it turned out a uh, management centric top-down solution to the problem they faced. They actually already knew what to do. What they really needed was the encouragement and the confidence and the safety to trust their own voice and take their own actions and lead the area of the business that they were working in. So that was actually the trigger that really got me thinking about the traditional leadership model of power to the center and the potential for a new model of distributing power and strengthening the voices of others and sharing leadership broadly.
0: So I I think that you, it's funny how you accidentally stumbled into into one of the most effective ways to lead somebody or lead a team um and it's not it's not a fun journey to go through this it's that must have been <laughs> it must have been extremely stressful uh i i'm i'm just i guess you know i i love to know more about how you how you've recovered since then and 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 the steps you took even I just want to know more about this this whole story because that's there's a lot to it i think but um did you find that as as you as you were unfortunately hit with um, a condition that forced you to act and be a certain way as a leader. What, what were the impacts on the company as people were forced to come to their own decisions? Were there tangible uh, improvements, like KPIs, like what, what culture? What did you see come out of that?
1: Yeah, so good, good question. So... Um, I kind of stumbled upon this idea, and then really got serious about how a company would institutionalize a structure of dispersed power and shared leadership where everyone felt like they had a voice so we we went to work uh really resetting our core systems to be more inclusive and to create more space for dialogue, essentially patience for process so that everyone could have an opportunity to participate in discussions around the most important choices the company was making. And, and we learned pretty quickly that the real key to making that work was to change the the uh, purpose and nature of listening and i write about this in my book that that listening needs to be for understanding not judgment so when i was a younger manager as i reflect on uh, my own career i think i spent a lot of time listening to people in the company to see if I was pleased with or agreed with their view. And if I didn't, I would then uh, start speaking to try to correct or change or adjust their view. But we've since taken a bit of a different approach and really kind of embrace the idea that there aren't really very many wrong answers when someone says something they're just saying what they honestly feel or are experiencing at that moment in time. So the big focus, in summary, was has been to try to create a work culture where everyone feels trusted, respected, valued, and uh, um, heard. Now, the concern a lot of people might have with this is, well, what about – systems and discipline and efficiency and best practices and all of those things. What we found uh, really, I think is fundamental human common sense. And that is that people are much more apt to support that, which they've helped to create. So in this period where we've tried to, cr- to create space for all voices to lead, our efficiencies improved dramatically. our accuracy has improved dramatically. our rework has gone down, our productivity's gone up, and the company's uh, performance really took off. i'll put it in um, perspective this way. we ended up earning uh, more money. the company from two thousand and ten. To 2020, than we did from 1848
0: to 2009. Get out. So the, the, the time
1: frame—I am the time frame <laughs> within which we we made this cultural shift to really focus on the employee experience—corresponded with a uh, just a, a, a taking off of the company's um, of the, com- of the company's performance. But what I'm quick to say there is that improved performance in this kind of new model is really the outcome, an important outcome, of a higher calling. It's not really the mission. It's a result. The mission is to try to create a workplace where the employees are having a meaningful, valuable experience. Now, and one of the outcomes of doing that is the performance of the company is going to improve as a result.
0: Now I have a I have a question and I would like to just um do a, a little bit more on on how your experience dealing with this and, and some of the struggles that you, you dealt with within your family. Um, because if you are one of the oldest companies in the US, you have done things a certain way, quite literally, <laughs> for, for, for years. Like there's, there, this is like this is literally quite, we've done this forever, um, honestly. So we've done things a certain way, We're, we've, we've always led a certain way, we've built our business a certain way. Incident happens, you, are no longer in the, you can no longer manage in the same capacity as what you were managing in before. How does, how does that family business dynamic, that 100 plus year business dynamic impact you? What, what are you going through and how do you overcome that? Because if I was say, I, I don't know, I don't know uh, the whole family situation, you were leading when you had this issue and obviously somebody else in your family was leading before you, I'm assuming, what, was the conversation not just maybe we should hire somebody, maybe we should bring somebody in? So how did you how did you sort of overcome that?
1: Yeah, those are great questions. So I initially wondered if my voice condition was going to limit or even prevent my ability to keep doing my job. That. um you know, was uncertainty I faced and it scared me. But I laugh about that now. I said to myself at the time, what possible good could a CEO be who can't talk all the time? And today I see that in a very different uh, light. So it definitely created some uncertainty and it took a good bit of, um, you know, courage in the way that all humans are called to face but the other part of your question that I think is really interesting uh, is the whole question of entrepreneurship my favorite definition of um, an entrepreneur I forget who said it but the, the definition that I love is someone who, create, who, someone who takes a risk to create Change. So when you look at industry, we always look at um, startups or new ventures as entrepreneurial in nature, which they are. But additionally, any company or organization that's going to survive generationally is constantly going to have to reinvent itself so one of the big challenges for a multi-generational company is exactly this point that you're getting at which is how do you respect your past and honor your traditions and yet constantly be being disruptive with your old with your own model i've worked for our company now for 30 years, and we uh, have changed in so many ways that, that had we not changed, I don't know that we would be here today. So in my view, every generation of a multi generational institution has to be entrepreneurial by definition in order for that institution to continue to grow and be relevant.
0: That's a very good um, a very good takeaway. I also saw one other one other point. I'm just I'm reading I'm I'm reading a few points that I took down from your book because it sort of walks through it walks through your story um, and then it sort of delivers some lessons. And and I, I appreciate the the entre, entrepreneurial by nature, even like within the organization where you're respecting your past, but you're still trying to be disruptive. Now, you mentioned that you were um, you you mentioned that you were disruptive in the sense that you were learning a new way to lead. So you were learning a new way to communicate with your staff. You're giving them a seat at the table, so to speak. Um, but you were also when I, when I read through a couple points in the book, I'm going to read this quote, and then I want, I want to just double down on this. So I could spend 65 hours a week at work, but this would not make me a better human or a better manager. The purpose of work is to support, not thwart the meaning of life. Companies must create pay systems, work schedules, and human missions that put time back into the hands of employees. The objective is to help everyone get out of their lane and to broaden their lives. So... This is this is a step further. This is more of a work life balance. So, when you shifted the focus to employees, did your mindset about what work is meant to be also shift? Is that something that came in tandem with it just because you were working in a different capacity? Because it seems like even though you you adopted this mantra, you're still saying that you saw increased returns, and I'm just wondering why something like this came out of a communication issue. It's still a good thing. But walk me through that point, because I thought that was very interesting.
1: Right. I I love that subject. I'm really happy that it came up, Scott. I've become very passionate about the idea of uh, putting the work back in its place as important, super important, but not all-consuming, and serving a larger, balanced life for the people who do it, uh, which really comes to the very premise of uh, this question in the 21st century. what What is the purpose of work? You know, the purpose of work ought to be, among other things, to advance the lives of the people who do it. And so then you have to actually start to ponder that unanswerable question what's the purpose of life and we can't answer all of it but we can answer a piece of it it's not just economic everyone can relate to that there is an it important economic component to life but economics is not the purpose of life it's a means to a higher set of ends and so you know you think about productivity and how it continues to advance so of course we can use some of that productivity to make in our case more lumber but we could also use some of that productivity to just plain work class. You know, there aren't many people in America, North America, Canada, that are a part of that two job economy working part time. And that's a challenge in and of itself. But in our case, all of the jobs in our company are full time. And historically, people in our industry worked. 55 or 60 hours a week and you kind of went home Saturday afternoon exhausted and if you got enough rest on Saturday and Sunday you could go back at it on um, Monday and we've really tried to adopt a bit of a different um, model where, um, where we're trying to work a bit less not a bit more and still grow and advance and improve, not having it be uh, one or the other. And But the other thing I'll say about that is when you take that goal on, you're really tackling some uh, deeply entrenched systems like the overtime pay system, which I think is actually, if you set out today to invent the worst possible pay system for the 21st century, you'd invent overtime. Overtime rewards one thing. The longer it takes, the more you get paid. When really what we want everybody on our teams to do, right, is to figure out how to make the work more accurate, more efficient, and take less time. That's what should be rewarded. So we ended up taking our average – well, let me give you some data. We have doubled our sales this decade and reduced the average work week from 48 hours to 40 and significantly increased the take-home pay of our employees by – increasing the base pay rates and by building a brand new set of incentives we we call them we call it performance gold that pays for accuracy efficiency safety productivity things that reduce time not things that take more time
0: now can i ask why it's it seems like that is not the norm yet a company that is what literally one of the oldest companies uh, is, is now adopting these forward-looking policies. Do you have any ideas as to why companies don't change? Is it just the status quo? I
1: think that I do. I don't know that I have the answer, but I have an idea, and, I, and it's a simple one. I just don't think people are thinking enough about the purpose of work And I don't think there's enough focus on mission and mission really matters if mission, you know, and there is a lot of talk about this right now in the business world, which is very healthy. Uh, But if the only purpose of, of a business is to maximize profit in the short term, that's going to create a set of outcomes but let's say uh like in our case the mission's different our, our the mission we chose to adopt uh is one that i talk about as being uh employee centric employee centric excuse me where the first mission of the company is to be valuable to the people who work here and to have their job advance their life in more than just economic ways so now if that's the mission suddenly a whole new set of priorities and thoughts and outcomes start to emerge everybody in that model that is not about kicking the company's worth to the curb Everybody in a company understands the well-being of the company is a super top priority. And what we've seen, and again, I think this is common sense, if the people who work at the company feel like the company is making them a priority what are those people likely to do the answer is really obvious right they're going to make the company a priority and so serving others this is just an obvious life lesson being applied to business serving others often uh enhances the lives of those who do it far beyond what they feel they've given. And that same uh, thing holds true in in a corporate setting. So to answer your question, I just think it's not enough thought given to what actually is the mission and purpose of this
0: each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone.
1: Of a higher calling,
0: as opposed to the as opposed to the only driver or the only metric. I like that a lot, and I think that you, Well, listen, it's always nice to say, "Oh, that would be so nice if we ran our business like that." We always want to focus on people, but you know, we have shareholders, we have stakeholders, we have to. But now you're, you know, over the past decade, you have a, you you're a use case. You're you're a you're a you're an actual example of, of how. Of how servant leadership, of of how um, this type of sort sort of forward looking leadership. I wish I didn't have to call it forward looking leadership, but you know, let's call it what it is. Not not every company considers that to be the benchmark, and I think that they should. So that forward looking leadership and doing things a little bit differently, that's actually paid off in spades. Um, so it, it, this is a, a perfect use case of showing how it actually how it actually can benefit a company. Now, can I? Um, I, I, this is a really great topic. I don't want to, to dive off and, and divulge, but I do want to just understand, um, I was just curious because I didn't, it wasn't clear to me when I was reading about, um, you know, I, when we first, when we first connected, uh, I, I was looking into the book that you wrote called obviously the seventh power and you know, what is the seventh power? I want to know what that, what that piece is because yes. I don't actually Thank know what that you. is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a second part. To the story. Uh, the first part is my own voice condition, which we discussed. The second part is two years later, beginning in 2012, I uh, began traveling from my home in Maine to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in the southwest corner of South Dakota on the northern plains that reservation is the biggest uh, most remote most traditionally disenfranchised and today poorest of all the sioux reservations on the northern plains so and i've now been there over 20 times there scott i discovered or met an entire community that didn't feel fully heard. So I was kind of traveling out to the plains a couple times a year, searching a bit for my own voice on a, on a literal and spiritual level. I ended up doing so amongst an entire community that felt as if their voice had been pushed to the side. I. Putting those two experiences together, I concluded that there were lots of ways for humans to lose a piece of their voice in this world, and that perhaps even, again, back to the question of the purpose of life, perhaps uh, it was to self-actualize, to find your own voice, and to be comfortable in it, to own it, and to live it, and to share it with humanity, but that across time, leaders of established organizations had probably done more to restrict or limit the voices of others than to free them. And that's when I started to think about my own voice condition, not as a liability, but maybe an invitation to lead differently. Now, to the question of the seventh power, uh, the look. The the Sioux Lakota symbol that's uh, most cherished by them is the medicine wheel. And the medicine wheel honors what they talk about as the six great external powers, the power of the west, the north, the east, the south, the sky, and the earth. At the center of that wheel, however, I had someone show me one day uh, that those who know the old ways of the Sioux know that a seventh power exists, and that seventh power is you it's me, it is the individual human. Spirit. So this whole approach of dispersing power, giving everyone a voice, sharing leadership is really tapping back into a piece of longstanding indigenous wisdom, uh, which is celebrating and honoring the power of the individual. It would be a bit like that iconic line from Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book, the strength of the pack is the wolf, and that you create strong communities one individual at a time. And just to wrap that up, when I got looking at um, empire building historically, whether it was corporations or nation states or religions, I really felt that – that humanity has been building an empire-centric model where the individual was taught to sacrifice and make themselves small for the good of the empire. But that there is a reason today why say engagement at work or confidence in government is so low and that is in the 21st century in the Aquarian age more and more individuals are waking up to their own sacred innate power that you are an empire within your into and of yourself and my approach and the and the entire mission of the book is to reinvent organizations to tap into that power so that's a bit of a long answer sorry but that's the <laughs> no, no, it's, it's good background it's, it's a, it's behind it, answer. the title yeah that's that's what the seventh power represents
0: understood and and that makes a lot of sense and i think that um in terms of uh, finding your own voice owning your own strengths Building your own personal empire, I think there's a lot of powerful things you could take from that. Um, but let's let's look at tactically, in an organization, when you have an open communication style, when you have a servant leadership style, when you have um, everyone owning their own I guess they're uh, owning, owning their own success, owning the company's success. How have you seen this type of behavior? benefit your company, and perhaps hinder some companies during the pandemic when all of a sudden commerce has flipped on its head, business has flipped on its head, everyone has to go work from home. Entire organizational structures are having to revamp digital transformation, all these things in a very short period of time. So what have you seen with your company? What have you seen? So good, good examples with your company, perhaps some poor examples with other companies yeah. that you've seen.
1: What a, what a lovely question. And I think, um so timely, for many reasons, when you think about combating the virus, who has to lead that effort? everybody, every single human in North America has to lead that effort because the virus moves. One person at a time. Think about some of the other major issues facing humanity or the planet today. Take uh, global warming or the planet's health. Who has to lead that? Everybody. Take social or racial um, equality. Who has to contribute to that? change everybody we're living in a world today where the big the big opportunities require everybody the big opportunities require everybody so i believe this model of dispersed power is the the optimal model for the 21st century an internet connected 24 7 transportation-enabled world to the specific case of this virus. So our company uh, was in a, quote, unquote, essential industry. So we never closed during the virus. And if you think about our business, we, um, well, we've not figured out how to be able to make lumber, from our couch and our sweatpants. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> that's a good so point. That's a very good point.
1: Everything everything we do we either have to be at work to do it or it doesn't happen. So not only have we worked the entire time, we've worked on site the entire time. And we do have a few administrative jobs that could be done from home, but we decided to all stand together. And we've all been coming to work every day, uninterrupted since the middle of March. We've not had, um, a single virus case among our 550 employees we've not had a virus case among our customers and in our shared leadership model we've simply asked everybody to take responsibility for what they're doing outside of work for the cleanliness of themselves and their area at work and then we put a big emphasis on spacing i never would have thought this was possible, but we can do every job in our company from the forest to a construction job site in six foot increments. And the other thing we found once we spaced out a little more is some of our metrics started getting better. Safety got better. Productivity got better. And so we feel like we've stumbled on some things that make sense permanently. And we have not found operating during the virus to be rocket science. Developing a vaccine might be close to rocket science, but running a business and staying spaced and staying smart and staying clean is not that complicated and i appreciate the opportunity to talk about that because i'm hoping it may help give others some confidence who who have been working remotely or haven't been at work about the ability to come back and do that safely
0: do you think it's do you think it's too far of a stretch and forgive me if i'm reeking but do you think it's too far of a stretch to say that when you do have a workforce that 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 feels like they're empowered, that cares about the business. Do you think that they would take an extra, I don't know, an extra step of caution um if the if they feel like I, I don't know if that's too far. I, I'm just wondering if when you when you enable a workforce and they feel like they're they're contributing to something that they want to actually contribute to, do they take an extra step of caution Knowing that uh, they now feel aligned and 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 really just on board with the team and they're all going through this together. Like I feel like there's a, an, an added sense of camaraderie which can which almost can augment the individual's um, carefulness uh, in their in their outside of work interactions just because there's that, there's that there's that pressure to to not let the people down that you're that you're with every day that you feel almost not indebted to but like grateful for. Um, I don't know if that's too much of a stretch. I, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud because it seems like the, the team is really taking the precautions and, and they feel like, you know, if, if they're going to put anyone at risk, they're, they're not going to do it. They're not going to come into work or whatnot because you have 550 people with no cases. It just seems like an uncommon metric across other businesses that are still in business.
1: So I love the question. And, and when you think about our approach, uh, here is a key. that happened first I was not interested in making anybody work and with this hit, I didn't know we didn't know how people were going to feel about working so we asked them we said what do you want to do here should we take some time off or should we try to work and figure this out? We took the time to have that dialogue. And in our case, the answer was a resounding no, we want to work. But think about the subtle difference in that step versus skipping it. So now everything that happened next was something they were of their own free will helping to create. And that, I think, made all the difference for us. So it's really, again, um, using your mission at every critical juncture in your company's decision-making. You know, we have uh, 10 tent stores and four manufacturing facilities. And I was like, well, if if half the people really want to work, we can, we'll run half of them. If three quarters of the people want to work, we'll run three quarters of the facilities. If nobody wants to work, we'll wait till people feel better. Or if everybody wants to work, we'll, we'll go figure this out.
0: And they, and they, and they chose, they chose to, they chose to work. They, they owned it. They owned the circumstance. They owned the, the requirements needed to make that, to make that change into a working environment that was safe while you're still, you know, in office, even, even people like you mentioned, like the admin people uh, were choosing to come in and be part of that team effort, which is, which is very, um, very inspiring because it just shows you hear so much negativity in the news about all, my goodness, so much negativity in general. But I mean, people that are essential businesses that are still open. I think there was something. Uh, there was a, a huge story. I can't remember the name of the meat packing plant. It's a huge, enormous organization. Uh, probably provides like a X percentage of meat across all of North America. Where there's just tons of people uh, getting sick. They're not being offered sick leave. Um, they're being forced to work. Like this is all these negative stories about people working during a uh, pandemic when uh, for essential services. So it's really just nice to hear a positive story for once because there's so much negativity <laughs> of uh, all, all these people being forced to work and not, you know, they don't have a choice. They don't have sick leave. They don't have benefits. What do they do? They need to provide for their family. So the company doesn't shut down. Now, like, you know, you get 50% of the employees are sick with, with COVID. It's just all this negativity. So it's nice to hear a positive story. I appreciate that a lot. Um. What I wanted to I, I I always have some closing questions um to just tee up like your your life experience. But I, I also wanted to give you um the floor for anything that we didn't discuss that you wanted to bring that you wanted to bring onto the podcast. Uh was there anything in, in your career uh, to tee up your story or in, in the book that we didn't uh, go into?
1: Thank you. Uh no, we've covered a lot, but there is one um Question for the future that my book contemplates, and it's simply this What if everybody on earth felt trusted, respected, valued, heard, and safe? What might change? I think everything might change where can that uh, occur I think the place of work is an exceptional candidate to create that kind of feeling within individuals. You know, uh, where 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 do adults get to continue to grow and find themselves? School ends when we're when we're eighteen or twenty two or whatever, but we've still got so much growth to do. We all know that that never ends. So we need institutions. that can foster that. And I believe the place of work is the prime candidate in part because so many people work and second because the place of work becomes stronger when you take that approach of serving the individual uh, voice. So when we think about change on this planet, I think when we look to governments or big bureaucratic institutions with all due respect i think we're looking in the wrong place i think change needs to happen on a soul's level one individual at a time and the power of making people feel trusted respected valued and heard i think can transform
0: humanity that's a very strong statement and I and I agree with that because we always look to the other to fix our own problems but let's 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 start at home let's start in our own selves but also where do people spend most of the time where do people get influenced the most what has the biggest impact well my goodness work it's what we do for a living it's what it's what it, it's it's what we live we spend more time at work uh with our colleagues and peers than you know we do with our spouse and our family in most cases so let's let's optimize that environment and build and and facilitate growth in that arena because when we don't that's that's that that it just ruins it ruins people's lives when when they are just stuck in an environment with a company that doesn't think the way yours does i think that it, that's the number one place that we can start and and all of it is just shifting that lens and like i love i'm so happy you brought out some actual kpis and some actual some actual data points that sort of back up what you're discussing, because there's a lot of talk about leadership. But I don't think that um, I don't think I have a ton of I have some don't get me wrong, there's a lot of great companies do a lot of great things. But I don't I don't enough are, are sort of preaching the data points that they've seen in relation to some of the, to some of the, I guess the, the forward-looking sort of improvements they made in their culture and how, and how they manage, how they lead, and how their employees sort of engage with with the upper executives, right? And I think that that balance of power is very important. I wish more people would sort of speak to that. Um, and speak about the the positive benefits, like just exactly like what you did, because there's a there's a really strong story for switching the way that we work, and the way that we manage, and the way that we lead, and the way business is conducted. And it doesn't have to always hit the bottom line. Just because we're we're thinking a different way, it doesn't mean that we're reducing our margins or our shareholders are not getting the same return or whatever you know your excuse may be for not trying to switch things up. Anyways. Um, I, I really appreciate uh I really appreciate the conversation. I wanna ask a few just insight life lesson questions, um, because you've gone through a lot. So one one question I like to ask is uh if you were gonna tell your younger self one lesson, anything, what would it be? You can take a second <laughs> to think if you want. Well, I know it's always yeah, a, it's a it loaded one. Be,
1: no, I love it. It would be to become Change that iconic quote from Gandhi to to learn to look inward for growth and progress, that the external world can be all consuming, but the real truth that we're seeking and the opportunity for growth that we're seeking lies within. So I tell myself to start looking at in the right place for change, which is at me, not at anyone else but me.
0: That's a good lesson. That's a very good lesson. I think that if more people looked inside themselves and and actually focused on themselves first, that would start to accomplish some of those utopian goals that you that you are listing out. Which I can only hope yeah. we try and we try and uh, you know move towards achieving. Um, there are a lot of social change happening right now too, so I think that a lot of that uh, introspection can be a very good thing. Um, another another question: uh, What is one one resource that you would recommend that you uh, that you've uh, learned from? It could be a book, a podcast, an Audible, a person that you would suggest somebody go read, go listen to, go look into.
1: Yeah, I'd say my favorite business author is jim collins who's got a bunch of books out but my favorite is two favorites are built to last and good to great and within the book built to last my favorite idea that he writes about is the power of the and versus the tyranny of the ore. i thought about that a lot with respect to work and this pandemic so in one model the the it would be framed this way we can work or we can be safe in the other model that's framed with this uh, connector we can work and we can be safe a whole new set of possibilities emerge. So the possibilities often derive from how the question or the proposition is framed. And he talks about the tyranny or the limiting uh, of the word or, the limiting power, and the liberating power of the word and. So Jim Collins.
0: Very good. And last question, a most important question. Where do people go to find more about yourself, your journey, your book? Is there a LinkedIn website? All those resources. Sure,
1: thank you. So you can uh, see our company at com, and then you can specifically uh connect with me at kevindhancock.com d is in david and there on that site there are a bunch of resources including my books that you can order there or you can access uh this book and my first one on uh, amazon or anywhere that books are sold
0: that's all for today thanks again for joining me on another episode of the success story podcast You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. One data source for everyone. through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary.